Minnesota signed Ben Ben Willicky. Ben Wickery, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I always I always I always have to mess up one pair episode, you know, it's it's a requirement. Um I just put that there for you, Connor. Just I know you did. Uh <laughs> stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl this week we're looking at the nfc south and the nfc west in our preview series as well as picking up on all the news from around the league as we're about to step into pre-season football oh wait it's already shit <laughs> okay so we got connor here and we've got ronan hello so how are you getting on sham any crack over in uh, cork it's quite enough it was over back in back in denver there for a while uh, a week ago for big statistics conference yeah got to enjoy the uh, thin air which exposed how unfit I am, to be honest. Uh, but also got the got to you know survey some you know genuine American uh, football fans. You know, I mean football fans who are American. Yeah. Uh, getting that biased Bronco news. <laughs> Although to be honest, none of them are particularly enthused about Joe Flacco. I, I managed to get a few. I always managed to ask them about. Well, what do you think about the Chiefs? Uh, Bring more homes, and they were all like, oh, "He's all right, I suppose, but he, but he'll come back down there at the bit this year." It's like mm. so. It, but even they, I don't think, were saying he'd get less than like, <laughs> you know, like they get less than like twenty-five touchdowns or something like that. So yeah. no. uh, I think they're in a the the, the Denver crowd is, is not uh, expecting a huge turnaround this year for them. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, no, all good out here in in Iraq myself. Bit busy the last couple of weeks. The work has really bumped up, so I'm now traveling out to like the villages out in the sticks as well, and teaching there in the mornings, and then coming back to teaching the universities in the evenings. It's running me into the ground right now, but I'm off on holidays tomorrow to Istanbul, so uh, I'll be able to relax there, which would be nice. Uh, so did, look- did they tell you you're going to be out in the sticks when they give you the job? Well, it's it's only uh, it's a it's a summer program thing that runs for a month, okay. so it shouldn't be too bad. But yeah, it's just more the three days a week. So I'm I'm now working six days a week, and three of those days I'm out of the house for about thirteen to fourteen hours. So it's uh, suboptimal, many would say. And the cheap bastards won't even pay for the travel time. So I'm not even getting paid for 14 hours. But yeah, it's uh, it's good. And uh, it'll come back to normal times as soon as uh, September rolls around, which means I'll be uh, back to normal for football season, which works very nicely. Because I think as it stands, I will be working Sundays, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I will be able to uh, sit up and watch the games on a Sunday night, which will be quite nice. Very, very fun. But yeah, I suppose we should kick off and get through because there's a lot of news. It's now really the kind of hectic season in the NFL. Extensions are getting done. Play, like There's actual team practices and games are starting off. We had the Hall of Fame game, uh, which exposed some interesting bits and pieces of news, as much as a preseason game ever can. But yeah, so we'll start off with probably the biggest news. Uh, Kansas City wide receiver Tyreek Hill has avoided suspension over the incident with his former fiance and child. This is a bit of a surprise outcome for the saga. There was a number of insiders, in inverted commas, uh, commenting that they thought this might have happened. So there's a combination of external factors, such as like the upcoming collective bargaining agreement, the inability to investigate fully because of child involvement in the case as well. Uh, But equally, there's a lot of feeling that Goodell had overstepped his mark previously in spots where there weren't official charges brought. And this is seen as kind of kind of a a regression back to where maybe not where he should be maybe he should be a bit harder than this but that basically this shows that there's a bit of a sea change in how they're going to approach things but it does cause 
two kind of main areas of thought because there are those who say, well, what the hell, Tom Brady got six games for apparently deflating footballs. But most of the feedback to that has been just because someone fucked up before doesn't mean that they should fuck up again. Like bad precedent doesn't make good regulation. But equally, I think this shows that there is some fear on the part of Goodell to make any type of stance with the upcoming uh, with the upcoming union negotiations. So uh, I think he was probably erring f- way too far on the side of caution in this spot. I think that idea that because there was a child involved, apparently the NFL basically didn't do any or basically any of its own investigation or compared to what it usually does in these situations. So they had to basically rely almost completely on the publicly available records from the relevant law enforcement and child protection agencies. You know, would a child involved just changed, I think, this compared to other ones? We'll talk about like a suspension for someone like Jaron Reed later on for a domestic violence situation. And, you know, like the NFL did a fairly thorough independent investigation in that part. That didn't happen here. And yeah, as you mentioned, the kind of the CBA and Goodell not wanting to overstep his mark probably made it an influence as well. Of course, now this means Tariq Hill, he's back at camp. He'll be playing maybe perhaps a little bit in the preseason, albeit he's a few minor injury issues that they might be pretty careful. But of course, this means immediately the contract talks, which were basically already underway or deeply underway before this whole thing blew up in, uh, in the public, have now started. And obviously, Tyreek Hill will expect it to get paid uh, major money. And as, we just, as we'll talk about in a moment, Michael Thomas's new contract has now set a new benchmark in the wide receiver market. Julio Jones is expected to probably either, you know, equal or Very better shorty, that contract. Yeah. So Tyreek Hill is obviously going to expect to be in around that area as well, mm. if not more. So for Hill, he's probably pretty happy with this in terms of like how we should feel about him effectively getting away with it. Um, I think the call, there was some moments that certain people are rightly like a bit peeved about, like basically threatening um, his former fiance. That, that you know doesn't paint him in a good light, but mm. at this point, the best that can be hoped is that he has learned his lesson and that he will you know, not engage in any relationships going forward, such as this. Uh, it's interesting just the way you phrase it. It just sounds like he. It's great now if he becomes a monk and swears to celibacy. Yeah. Just no more relationships. Full stop. Good to just maybe get it in the rearview mirror. So we're going to look at some of the other news here. So we have a lot of extensions to talk about. Tom Brady signed an extension, two years, seventy million dollars. But it's an unusual contract. So he's now being paid, I think, about 25 or 26 million this year. But he will become a free agent after this season. He cannot be tagged. The contract voids the first day of the next season, I think, opening. So, yeah, essentially, it's just a one year contract that then he's open to negotiations afterwards. Like, is there anything to read into this? Or is this just a. We've got a contract, we pay him a little bit more, and Belichick and the like get the ability to actually, if they ever wanted to, cut ties if he gets injured or he falls off a cliff. A little bit of both sides kind of got what they want. Like Tom Brady, kind of, I think he made a little bit of a power move here um, just to say, hey, I'm still the franchise quarterback. You're still, like, you should pay me a little bit more. Got a bit more money up front. Probably doesn't need it with his wife and his previous earnings, but obviously he's being you know, notoriously underpaid relative to the value getting the open market for a few seasons at this point. And you know, it's effectively a year-to-year contract. Tom Brady saying, okay, I'll give the team more flexibility, but I want to get more money, and it's effective, and then I, and the options that you have available to you immediately this season, or sorry, this next season and the season after, they're pretty expensive. Obviously, we can negotiate those again there, but that's going to be a baseline 
to ensure you don't get any fancy ideas. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, so it kind of just sounds like a smart bit of business, but just sets up for an interesting discussion about his uh, plan to play to 45 kind of thing next year. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned earlier, Mike Thomas, wide receiver from New Orleans, got a huge deal, five years, 100 million with 61 million in guarantees, setting the market very high. And as we'll talk about in a second, Julio Jones is going to be eyeing that real hard, but deserving money for someone who's been a very high performing uh, wide receiver over the last number of years. Yeah, like he's basically become the kind of safety blanket for Drew Brees in New Orleans. He's probably not kind of your prototypical wide receiver one, like someone like Julio, who just kind of looks the part. But I think his ability to get separation pretty much every play and to make contested catches and basically kind of be that outside and inside star, similar to someone like Antonio Brown. I think that's just someone that's really valuable for some someone like Drew Brees, who obviously perhaps doesn't have quite the same arm, especially as the season go on, as he would have had five years ago. So having someone like this and someone like Alvin Kamara, obviously, who can drop it off to just makes a huge difference that the pressure isn't quite as high on Drew Brees. And I think based on Mike Thomas's production, you can't dispute that he deserves to get a contract that looks like this. No, of course. Seattle linebacker Bobby Wagner signed a three-year, $54 million contract with $40 million in guarantees. This sets the linebacker market, but uh, as I said, it was it's essentially a two-year uh, contract as they have the ability to avoid the third one. There's some concern around this uh, as Wagner is just, uh, it's been announced that he is taking some kind of platelet-rich injections thing in his knees, I believe. It sounds a bit like blood doping to me being a non-medical <laughs> person, but uh, from what I gather, it is a bit more commonplace now and other players such as uh, D Ford, I think, had this done this off-season as well. Yeah. So maybe it's just kind of new end, high end kind of maintenance for, for older players. It's, it's legal until it's illegal. Mm. <laughs> the story with a lot of these new procedures and how much actual efficacy they have is a whole different thing. Don't think there's any really too many clinical trials showing the mm. effect on uh, elite athletes, to be honest. But, like, yeah, Bobby Wagner, obviously, he's been, like, one of the best linebackers for the last five years uh, alongside Luke Keekley and does get the contract commensurate with that. Obviously, influenced by the fact that CJ Mosley got so much money in free agency that probably bumped, like, another five or so million onto this contract. But I think, you know, he's, 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 he's been a great servant for Seattle. So like on a team like Seattle, which has so much changeover, as we'll talk about in the preview, I think having him and Russell Wilson as your kind of leaders on the offense, like defense and offense respectively, it makes sense. And I think you can expect him to be still up there in the upper echelons for a little while longer. We've seen these really good linebackers continue to be effective into their 30s. And hopefully Bobby Wagner is the same as long as his knees don't explode with a platelet. No, oh, yeah, just they can't they can't carry that sick <laughs> high platelet hand. Yeah, uh, Atlanta continued their locking down players, uh, so they signed linebacker Deion Jones to a four-year, fifty-seven million dollar contract with thirty-four million in guarantees. This is obviously following the Garrett extension, and as we mentioned, Julio is up next, so they're kind of locking down their talent. And Tennessee have signed safety Kevin Byard to a five-year, $70 million contract with $31 million in guarantees. So he's now the highest-paid safety in the league. And yeah, it's just it, it's interesting, given last year, safeties couldn't get a job, and then this year, they're just getting paid, paid, paid. Yeah, I think people are willing now to hold on to their elite safeties and as we'll talk about in the running back position running backs are perhaps hoping for a similar turnaround for the elite performers uh, I think they're still like if you're a middle class safety you're kind of getting screwed these days well, like you see some of the like the smaller contracts handed out to free agent safeties like Trey Boston Kurt Coleman only getting like one million two million 
a one-year contract. But I think for someone like Kevin Byard, who's performed really well for Tennessee the last couple of years, obviously not someone who gets a lot of attention because of Tennessee, um, I think it's something to deserve. But yeah, between between this and the free agency period, the safety market, if you're doing well, looks a lot healthier now than it did a couple of years ago. No, of course. A couple of other bits around the league. Uh, Cincinnati wide receiver Tyler Boy gets a four-year, $43 million contract. Green Bay lockdown defensive lineman Dan Lowry for a three-year, $20 million. And Detroit sign offensive guard John Dahl. We'll move into some signings, so new players joining teams. As you imagine, this time of year, you'll see a lot of shuffling around with people getting cut from teams in the preseason and people needing to fill in depth whenever they had some injuries or maybe some of their rookies aren't working out. Big names, Detroit signed defensive tackle Mike Daniels. Uh, Green Bay cut him, and I think literally within a day, he had decided to sign with Detroit. Uh, one year, $9.1 million with $7.8 million in guarantees. A nice contract, a nice one-year prove-it-and-then-go-out-and-hit-the-market thing. I think this works out really, really well. Like, this is someone who could really help that front. Like, obviously, they, they, the Detroit Lions are trying to be, by all accounts, uh, kind of defense first team, run the ball, be good up front. They obviously spent a lot of money on Trey Flowers to be in that front this year as well. Um, and so, obviously, I'm looking at them, and I'm kind of going, Mike Daniels, he was really effective for Green Bay. I remember a couple of games against Seattle where he absolutely wrecked us. And I think it's just having a bit more heft up front would be really good for that they obviously already have snacks harrison as their run stuffer but getting some pressure side could make them a really interesting prospect uh, i do think like uh, detroit are one of the teams that might be uh, their scheme may not be the exact fit for mike daniels but i think even as a tree tech he should be pretty good and for green bay it's a bit of a surprise but as i mentioned they extended dan larry they obviously decided to leave down the cap hit on their defense so obviously they decided that Mike Daniels was surplus to requirements he's obviously getting up there in age but uh, I think for a one year contract like this there's every chance he could really produce for Detroit and make them at least a little more interesting than they were before No of course uh, Washington signed offensive tackle Donald Penn for one year uh, contract that could be worth up to 5 million this obviously comes as news that Trent Williams has decided he's going to hold out and does not want to play. He said very vocally he does not want to play for the Washington team. It sounds completely justified. So we'd heard rumours swirling around this previously about there being some kind of medical issue. The medical issue was he had a lump on his head. He asked them about it. They said it was fine. And then he found out that it was actually a tumour, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it didn't end up being uh, cancerous, but... It obviously was a you know significant enough that it definitely should have been taken for a biopsy, and it was significant enough that it did have to be removed, um, which means that he, he like in terms of health issues, it's still not known if he's cleared to play football. But obviously, just you know, as a player, you know, you put so much trust in the medical staff, and the Mizzou's medical staff uh, has a questionable track record in general based on their injury profile. But I think you know you trust them to act as if they were your doctor. And I think he feels in this situation they did not act in that way. They acted in such a way as to get him back on the field. Yeah. Uh, to get, and I think, you know, as a player, you know, as a, sorry, as a person, you know, having people who you trust, who you have to trust, fuck you over like that, I can completely understand if you feel that way, why you would want to get out of Dodge and get out of that football team. No, of course. Um, obviously, the team doesn't want to get rid of them. Jay Gruden doesn't want to get rid of them. But uh, if a player really wants to get out and they're obviously taking it personally, we know that these things generally end up the player does get out of there in the end. No, of course. And uh, New York Jets centre Ryan Khalil has signed there one year for $8 million. He was retired, but he decided to come out for a big payday. This is a, probably a very good get for the Jets who want to make sure they've got a nice solid line sitting in front of their second-year quarterback. And uh, as long as he can still play, he's definitely going to be an upgrade for that line, right? 
yeah, like, <laughs> I wouldn't be the... Uh, Khalil's been a bit... Probably the name has, has outpaced his actual talent level recently. Mm. But I suppose, given the kind of lack of depth that they've generally had, uh, the Jets along alongside their offensive line, I think it's, he's probably an upgrade. But I don't think you're expecting... Uh, Maybe the what Ryan Khalil the name would imply if they're looking maybe if he should say okay starter that's probably enough for them this year. Yeah, no, of course. A few other ones from the league. Kansas City have signed Mo Claiborne for a one-year, one point five million dollar contract. Apparently, he's facing a four-game suspension, but he's appealing it. Darren Sproles returns to Philadelphia on a one-year, one million dollar contract. Yeah, there's lots of lots of small ones. So Dot Foreman is now in uh, Indianapolis. Sia Riddick is in Denver. Alan Hearns, who was cut off Dallas, is now in Miami. They've also signed uh, Kim DJ, Kim DJ, Kim DJ. Why did you fall out that window? But uh, <laughs> they've signed him for one year, $1 million, and they've immediately placed him on the pup list. Uh, Trey Boston to Carolina. Alan Bailey gets a two-year deal with Atlanta. Kirk Coleman, one year, one million, Buffalo. Orlando Scandrick and Jonathan Cyprian join the Philly backfield. Alfred Morris joins the Dallas running back circle, which we will be discussing shortly. New England signed Cam Meredith. Uh, Seattle signed uh, Deshaun Sheed. And a couple of trades as well. So Houston have traded a 2024th rounder to Cleveland. Uh, for running back Duke Johnson and apparently that can be upgraded to a third round pick based on performance and the Jets have traded a conditional seventh to Baltimore for offensive lineman Alex Lewis so basically they just got him for free yeah so like a lot of minor signings there a lot of changes especially in the secondary and running back situations and then a few kind of uh, lost souls like in DJ I suppose the only major one there is the trade for Duke Johnson obviously he'd been agitating for a trade all off season and he finally got one to Houston. He'll be backing up Lamar Miller and you'd expect that like Miller is a three down back in the sense that he's okay at running and okay at catching the ball, but I definitely think that, you know, the Houston fans, if not necessarily the Houston coaching staff, uh, will be looking for any chance of hope of change of something more exciting than the Lamar Miller oatmeal running back uh, situation. Duke Johnson has had flashes of being more interesting, more exciting than that, even if he is never really going to be an in-between-the-tackles type runner. Yeah, no, of course. So you have some interesting injury news. The big one uh, <laughs> at the moment is uh, Oakland wide receiver Antonio Brown uh, has injured his feet and they don't know how long he's going to be gone for because this isn't the kind of injury you hear about very often. So Antonio Brown has got frostbite damage on his feet yeah. from not wearing the correct footwear and I've heard it reported from several sources that it was that he wore no footwear while going into a cryogenic tank for some cryotherapy uh, he's shown the feet on Instagram this has obviously been why there was news coming out of Gruden being irritated at Brown not being out there on the field because even though it was presumably some kind of preventative body maintenance thing this is just hella fucking stupid right? Obviously Antonio Brown over the last couple of years has kind of gone a little bit off the deep end based on his public performances like yeah. you know how he talked in Pittsburgh his silly milk moustache and obviously after, you know, basically fighting his way out of Pittsburgh, getting to Oakland, he now ends up engaging in what is a pretty major fuck-up. Even if he does manage to get back to the regular season, you can't imagine that having your feet be a little bit fucked up isn't going to harm you as a wide receiver. Obviously, we're talking about frostbite here, so suddenly the entire NFL press corps has to become experts on grades of frostbite. Hmm. By all indications, the fact that he showed his feet and they aren't blue probably means that it's, it's mostly just he's going to have some sore soles for a fair while yeah i think it, it's mostly like it's bad in the sense that he could miss time which would be really bad for oakland who 
obviously just re- completely remade their wide receiver core, but it's also just bad to know that AB hasn't really grown up. We thought that maybe after the Pittsburgh situation, that was most just to kind of show up Pittsburgh and kind of just agitate his way out, but it seems that some of his more out-there behaviour, uh, he may still be willing to indulge in it, or he just hasn't, or uh, maybe, maybe not even outside, out, out-there behaviour, just being a bit smarter, and this is just, you know, yeah. uh, these NFL players go to these cryogenic things all the time, and I assume they are warned sufficiently about not having their feet frozen. No, of course, Hopefully. of course. This is a, a lesson earned. Is a lesson learned in this case. We hope. Yeah. The uh, the the one thing I saw recently. I haven't watched the Hard Knocks yet, but I saw the bits of the previews that were out, and I did love. There's a there's a clip that they released of uh, Antonio Brown explaining to his kids that they said. Where's Ben Roethlisberger? He's not my QB anymore. I don't play there. I play for the Raiders. Derek Carr is our quarterback. He's good. <laughs> it's just very funny that the kids don't get it. Uh, more wide receiver foot injuries. Wide receiver AJ Green of the Cincinnati Bengals has injured his foot and he is uncertain for week one. Uh, this is obviously a huge damage because AJ is a lot of what that passing offense is as they've Got the development in their wide receiver too, but they've got a number of failed projects such as uh, John Ross and stuff in there. So uh, him being out is a big uh, risk for them if it continues into the season whatsoever. LA Chargers offensive tackle Russell Okun had a pulmonary embolism issue, but he's expected to miss some games. Uh, we don't know a lot of details about it, but it is considered life-threatening if it went untreated. And the woes for the New York Giants wide receiver core keep on coming. Wide receiver Corey Coleman's torn his ACL, he's gone for the season, and Sterling Shepard has injured his thumb, and they're not sure if he'll be back for week one. Yeah, just fun all around. Yeah, like the AJ Green one, yeah, as you say, it's a bit of a big deal. And like you've kind of got conflicting reports about that, that's never really a good sign. And obviously, as someone who's for a contract extension well pretty soon, um, he's not probably not inclined to put himself at risk unless the Bengals exert some pressure on him and I don't know what pressure Andy Dalton's going to exert on you to be honest and I'm a rookie head coach mm. Okung obviously we just hope that you know now that this has been resolved he won't have any additional issues obviously it's very scary to hear uh, something like that happening and then the New York Giants uh, obviously these two injuries are a bit problematic even if Corey Coleman was more of a reclamation process but Sterling Shepard was expected to be the wide receiver either one or two alongside Golden Tate who <laughs> as we're talking about at the moment is facing his own issues yeah. um, so now it's like Russell Shepard will be like their wide receiver one uh, in their first few preseason games likely but Evan Ingram basically is their effective only good receiver at this point yeah it's and, interesting uh, the reports I heard coming out of uh, New York Giants camp during the week where um, there was video circulating of uh, Saquon Barkley throwing passes and having a better spiral and more accurate passes <laughs> Which is uh, always a good thing to do. And not just then Eli, oh, both their quarterbacks. So uh, strong reports already from them. Yeah, but we'll, we'll move on to that crime and punishment section. So uh, New York Giants' Golden Tate is facing a four-game suspension under the PED policy. He claims he did it unwittingly and immediately stopped and became aware and will appeal this. But that's kind of what they all say, right? Yeah. But I think he, he's very... He's obviously known for being quite uh, like out there, kind of speaking his mind. Uh, you think back to his, I suppose, an altercation um, before the Super Bowl uh, with Percy Harvin when he was at Seattle. So he's not somewhat afraid to say what he says, and he's obviously going, "I'm, I'm, a, I'm an honest player, uh, you know, and this is just something that happened. It wasn't my fault. I trusted people, etc." Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like 
we'll see. These things usually don't go away. He's probably pretty much screwed. No, because uh, Seattle defensive tackle Jaron Reed is suspended for six games, personal conduct related to a domestic violence incident in, nine, in 2017. They've signed defense tackle Earl Mitchell to provide cover, but as we're probably going to talk about in a bit, the Seattle defensive line is looking a little bit more questionable than it was beforehand. Basically, the defensive side of the ball that was the identity of the Seahawks looks like it's significantly up for question in the upcoming season. Pretty much, yeah. Like We'll talk about the impact on the team, but for Jaron Reed, yeah, he's pretty much apologised, so I don't think he's he'll be appealing or anything like that. Yeah. And I think this just happened to come out like a couple of days after the Tyreek Hill thing. Mm. But as I said, like the NFL was able to do a full investigation here, and obviously they gathered enough evidence to believe there was something happening here. And six games obviously implies that Whatever he did back then probably wasn't the nicest. So hopefully, once again, this is someone who will learn their lesson and then move forward from this uh, no, of appreciation of you know being a good person. Yeah, and uh, Tennessee offensive tackle Taylor Lewan is facing a four-game suspension based on a failed drug test. The team haven't made any comment on this, but Lewan came out with a statement to, to, to tell everyone about it. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like I said, at the moment, I just don't care about the Titans. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, like, slightly reduces like Derek Henry's fantasy value yeah that's probably about it for me uh, <laughs> at the moment yeah uh, on to the controversy corner because there's a few bits going on Melvin Gordon's holdout continues he's indicated that he's willing to skip games and uh, it was released to the media presumably by his own agent that they had officially requested a trade as they weren't being met the reports are saying that they Chargers have offered a deal in the region of about 10 million a year to him and he reckons that that is not enough money uh, that he feels he is worth more. Uh, good for you, Melvin. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure the market is really there for making him a 14, 15 million dollar a year running yeah, back. Like there's only a couple of running backs making that, and they have much more impressive resumes than Melvin Gordon. Like even his best season, like it was good, no doubt about that. But that was on the good offense, and even then, he still had his continuing like minor injury issues going on all the time. And obviously the Chargers have people like Eckler and Justin Jackson who did well in spot duty last year. So And who everyone is now massively overdrafting in all their fantasy yeah. leagues. <laughs> I think it's one of those situations where Melvin Gordon and as we'll talk in a minute, Ezekiel Elliott, they, I think there's a kind of a running back revolt. The, the people who are at the top of the tree or believe they're top of the tree obviously aren't happy where the running back market is. Obviously Le'Veon Bell was the first proper revolt and it's just a question now whether these other guys are going to take it far enough to do that I think Melvin Gordon because it's his final year for his contract he, he could just show up for the last eight games turn over his contract and get a new you know contract somewhere else next season and lose a few game checks but obviously not too much for like a mm-hmm. you know for a, for a this isn't a, an option year it's just a normal year um, so yeah like I think this could go on for a long time unless the Chargers decide that he is worth keeping I suppose one small note is like, you know, this is a team that's moving stadium very soon, losing one of your marquee stars when you technically have a chance at the Super Bowl. Mm. You know, there is a bit of pressure there to get something done. But I think, you know, the team, maybe they're looking at the long term here, yeah. especially with Philip Rivers being gone eventually if he runs out of children. Well, that's it, yeah. Like you, uh, meant, you mentioned that there's kind of a general uh, running back revolt going on. Like the Ezekiel Elliott one is definitely coming to a bit more of a con- crescendo. So his holdout is continuing. He's apparently partying out in Cabo or hanging out there. And Jerry Jones has decided in a very Jerry Jones-like fashion to come out and start mouthing off indirectly, but very clearly directly about it to the media, talking about how you don't need a running back for Super Bowl wins. 
Well, Jerry, I don't know, like, it's been a while since you've been there, right? Maybe it's yeah. changed a bit. But reports yeah, indicate that Elliot is willing to sit out the season if needs be. And like we said, I think, in the last podcast, the difference between these two guys to me is Elliot is that offense. It's, it's a bit of a problem for the for Dallas. And obviously, they're dealing with contract issues with their quarterback, Dak Prescott, and with Amari Cooper, their wide receiver. They're both looking for top-of-the-end money. Mm. Apparently, Ezekiel Elliott has been offered a fairly generous contract in the words of the team, but obviously mm-hmm. in terms of it, it's at least a top five contract, but for running backs that isn't really that much. And obviously Ezekiel Elliott probably has, based on his production, earned a top-of-the-market contract for the running back position more than more yeah. than busy Le'Veon Bell got from the Jets. I suppose this is kind of like a little bit of a, like a rerun of history that could happen here. Uh, I think it was the Cowboys during the 90s. They tried to basically hold out, basically not pay Emmett Smith. He held out for the first couple of games. They absolutely tanked, and they basically brought a truckload of money down his way to get him back, and they went on to be very successful that season. No, um, of so we'll see if Ezekiel Elliott can push the same envelope uh, again this time. Like, if Ezekiel Elliott didn't make money, I wouldn't be too unhappy with that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this is, this is the thing. We discussed it before, but, like, Elliott is talented, but he's also, he's somehow can't not get himself into trouble like so you always got to be worried because this is the thing when we hear they could be very they could very much be offering maybe even top three running back money but it could be that they are putting it that they'll pay him that but it's going to be a year by year essentially team contract or year by year contract on a team option yeah and it's worth noting that this is two years out from when he'd be a free agent so that's why it's a bit unusual and perhaps why he should have less leverage than Melvin Gordon like you know, Dak Prescott and Cooper have their they're, they're coming to free agency this season. So the fact that Ezekiel Elliott is trying to jump the queue effectively, I suppose, that isn't seen in the best light by the bra- team brass either. No, um, of course. So obviously, he just he obviously feels his leverage is sufficiently large to make this kind of power move effectively. Maybe for the entire running back uh, community, he would probably say, but I don't know if he really cares about that much. No, of course. And the only other bit that we heard during the the last week or two has been uh, Adrian Peterson is apparently on the brink of bankruptcy. No wonder he's still coming back and playing into his late 30s, <laughs> you know. Uh, apparently, it's been, he's been taken advantage of by individuals and that does seem to be quite a recurring theme within the NFL that these guys aren't really properly trained on how to look after their money and stuff. But yeah, just shocking to hear that the amount of money that he's earned in his career that he is that badly off well he's had a number of poor judgment calls over the last uh, five years or so and uh, you know once again this is a situation where if he did end up bankrupt I wouldn't be the saddest person in the world over that considering it no of course and some other random bits from around the league uh, QB Mark Sanchez uh, the Sanchez as we would call him has officially retired he's going to be an analyst for ABC I think on the Thursday nights I think I'm not sure yeah. defensive end Robert Ayers is officially retired and so is Phil Dawson the kicker yeah so a couple of couple of retirements there's always a few ones as well not necessarily in this group but there's always a few retirements that always surprise me just on the basis of oh I didn't realise they hadn't already retired. Yeah, this is around exactly. that time of year when, when, when more veteran players, when they don't find a spot on a roster during the preseason cuts and injuries, yeah. then they suddenly go, well, I'm taking this into my own hands. This is my choice, not yours. Yeah, like Ayers probably fits into that. I think Dawson probably would have got a job and the Sanchez is probably like, yeah, it was pretty shit last year. I don't really have the, 
I don't care. Like I don't really care. I never really cared probably that much about quarterbacking, mm. but I especially don't care anymore. Uh, but thanks for the last little payout, uh, Mzingus. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, wide receiver Cliff Branch dies at seventy-one. He's expected to make the Hall of Fame next year, or well, it's just technically this year, but yeah, next year. Is how yeah. I'd, I'd look at it because they're looking at expanding the class to bring in some more of the older players uh, in honor of the uh, yeah. So they're yeah, going to have like the, the the standard Hall of Fame class for you know players who recently retired will be the same, but they'll have an expanded fifteen person Group veteran of, yeah. class or seniors class, uh, which will include uh, mostly players, but I think it will include. Um, three coaches and two contributors and ten players. So the hope is that someone like Cliff Branch, who apparently back in his day was the wide receiver effectively for the Raiders, like basically he 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 had amazing stats for the time. Basically, mm. um, will be one of the people get that. Apparently, he was someone who made public statements that he, he wanted to be in the Hall of Fame, that he was basically going to keep going until he got to the Hall of Fame, and as well as a little un- un- unfortunate that he's he's died just before that's likely to happen. No, of um, course. This kind of cleaning up the history of the NFL for the centennial, the 100 years of football celebration they're talking about. No, of course. And Lev Bell has came out with a statement saying he apologises to fantasy football owners from last year for his holdout. Great. Like... <laughs> He's also promised them a championship if they draft him this year. So. Okay, very good, very good, yeah. Always good to hype himself up. So I suppose with that, we'll move <laughs> on to our previews of the NFC South and the NFC West. Okay, so the NFC South. First up, we have the Buccaneers. They've added head coach Bruce Arians, as well as defensive coordinator Todd Bowles and offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich. They added uh, Gomick and Sue, Devin White, Shaq Barrett, uh, Sean Murphy Bunting, James Dean, Jamel Dean, sorry, uh, Mike Edwards, James Dean, what? That was a terrible draft pick. The guy's dead. Dion Buchanan. They lost Gerald McCoy, Quan Alexander, Vinnie Curry, uh, Darius Taylor, Adam Humphreys, Deshaun Jackson, and the, the, the big man himself, Ryan Fitzpatrick's on Fitz Magic, so uh, obviously these guys are not going to do well this year. So the que- <laughs> the question is obviously, can Bruce Arians make Jameis Winston into a successful passer? This is Jameis's year to show that he's someone who they want to invest time in. He has been caught up in a number of like criminal incidents and uh, uh, allegations. I think it's just allegations of sexual assault. I'm not sure if they ever got a conviction on it, but you know, a couple of those. He has this weird approach of like eating W's to try and encourage his people to <laughs> to play well. Like, there's no doubt he has a cannon of an arm when he wants to use it, but he isn't doesn't make smart decisions on the field. So the question is, can Bruce Arians, who's known to be quite good at working with these kind of gunslingery type quarterbacks, can he get production out of him so much so that the Buccaneers can succeed and that possibly they could look into locking down this quarterback? Yeah, like it's it's an interesting one because. The Buccaneers always have good pieces on their team. Like they've got great wide receivers. They've got Evans there, and Godwin looks to be kind of a good person to pair with him. But they just never seem to be able to to get it together. Jameis throws picks. He gets shaky in games. Leadership seems to be an issue. Do we think Bruce Arians, a coach who's known for being able to manage these kind of things and kind of a bit of a stern-looking figure, do we think he'll be able to get that kind of? turnaround in James because James has to be incentivized because this is a contract year I would claim it's been probably it's been James' year to prove himself for the last three years really but like this is really the last chance saloon to prove himself as a franchise level quarterback like the flashes of talent that he has and his ability to obviously get great good play from players like Mike Evans uh, and from people like hopefully Godwin and OJ Howard this year like 
he certainly could be very good, but the question is, can he put the entire thing together? Uh, like, you know, the fact that he's talking about, oh man, Bruce Arians is teaching me how to check down. What an amazing revelation. I'll be hit running backs are terrible at catching the ball. Yeah. And the running backs are pretty questionable in general. I, I think it's like all the talent is there. All of the receiver help is there. So it's mainly just about stopping him throwing interceptions. If he could just take his interceptions from astronomical to reasonable to like, you know, average. I think the other aspects of his play are strong enough that he can put together a strong offense overall. Now, the question of whether that will be good enough to make the Tampa Bay Buccaneers competitive in their division or in the NFC is a different one because, in actuality, the biggest question mark with this team is probably the defense. Obviously, Todd Bowles, obviously an old friend of Bruce Arians, obviously going to have a bad time in the Jets. Um, he's basically taking over one of the youngest defenses in the league. Obviously, they added a veteran in Sue, but they lost McCoy, they lost Alexander, and their secondaries are basically being completely overhauled. There's a team that's going to be probably starting three or four rookies in their defensive backs. And defensive backs are notoriously one of those positions where rookies can really, really struggle. And when you're looking at offenses like the Falcons, the Panthers, the Saints, in the division alone, you're kind of looking at Jameis might get a lot of points. Maybe he won't try try throw as many interceptions. But even if they do improve on that side of the ball, and Bruce Arians does turn that around, I don't think that's going to be enough to make the Tampa Bay Buccaneers anything more than an afterthought. But I suppose in terms of the future of the franchise, if he does well, then maybe they can sign him up, get him on a reasonable contract. Because I think Jameis Winston, you, you wouldn't have to pay him the superstar money yet based on one season, and maybe that'll be enough, and you don't have to then go back into the you know the draft carousel of trying to find another quarterback. So I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are very incentivized to make Jameis Winston work, and with Bruce Arians, they probably have found one of their best chances of doing that. Whether, but I don't think it'll be enough to make them relevant to be honest, either way. So no. I'm going six and ten. Um, and that's probably, you know, even though I am pretty excited to see what this offense does from an attacking point of view, even if you're just seeing it from fantasy points, etc. Yeah, I've got them going a little bit worse. I've got them going 4-12. and 12. Just, yeah, I'm just, I, I trust that any game that can be lost by QB error will be lost by James Winston. And I see so many games where that will happen for them. Uh, next up, we have the Falcons. They've added um, Jamon Brown, James Carpenter, Chris Lindstrom, and Caleb McGarry, Alan Bailey, Adrian Claiborne, uh, Luke Stocker, and Kenyon Barner. They lost Robert Alford, Justin Bethel, Brian Poole, Tevin Coleman, Andrew Levitre, uh, Bruce Irvin, and Brooks Reed. This will be an interesting one for them. They never seemed to really come back from the hangover from that 28-3 to moment because they maintained an awful lot of the talent, obviously lost their uh, offensive coordinator and just weren't really able to turn what was a very talented roster into the kind of results that they got in that year when they kind of caught magic in the bottle. They still have an elite level quarterback. They have excellent weapons on the outside. They've got good pieces on the defense. So... Can this retooled offensive line, because I think they've got four new players, maybe three starters changing on there, will they be able to get their run game going better? Will that be able to better protect uh, Matt Ryan in the pocket? Because he has moved in recent years from kind of a short to intermediate area passer to being a very good deep ball player. And if they can capitalize on that, it might be quite good to, uh, to get back to that. I just, I'm not sure, because they didn't, really perform fantastically last year and I'm 
I'm hoping they can turn it around, but I'm not a hundred percent sure they will. Yeah, it was just a really bad, like a very, it was a bad stink off them last season. Obviously, not entirely surprising considering what had happened previously. But I think we were all expecting them to bounce back and be just as strong, and they ended up basically looking kind of listless throughout the entire season. Like they went on like a five or six game, like a five game losing streak last season in the middle of it when people were kind of thinking, oh, they've had a poor early start. Maybe they'll turn this round. I think in terms of the changes they've had this season, not too much. Like the main thing is that they've had to kind of rebuild the interior of their line and they've brought in Jamon Brown. So with the new like offensive line, obviously, you know, with that, with Jamon Brown and these other players, Lindstrom, obviously a, a first down rookie. They're probably hoping, I assume, to get the running back up and running, uh, Devonta Freeman. I think, obviously, last year they kind of ended up becoming maybe a little bit too dependent on the passing game, albeit Matt Ryan had obviously has three great catchers in Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Mo Sanu. I think that's probably the best triplets of wide receivers you'll see in the league. And Austin Hooper isn't too bad of a tight end. And I think that, that kind of, like, similar to the Buccaneers, like, the big difference maker could be the defense. Obviously... You know, Dan Quinn was a defensive coordinator for Seattle. He obviously was very highly rated in Seattle in that role. Uh, but the defenses have been very, very up and down during his tenure here. Obviously, there hasn't been too much change over here. But I think the big hope here is that they can avoid the injuries that plagued them last year to players like Deion Jones, who they just re-signed recently. So I think if they can get that defense going again and back up, toward being like a top 10 defense if they can add a little bit more balance as well that wouldn't do any harm mm. i think the falcons they have all the talent in the world i think they could recapture that with Dirk cutter back in the offensive coordinator chair maybe not shanahan good but he certainly was good when he was back there so i think i i'm pegging the falcons in for a rebound i'm giving them 12 and 4 good enough for the five fifth wildcard seed and really you know just unlucky that they happen to be in the same division as the Saints. Yeah, so I've got them going 11-5 and five and taking the number 6 seed, but I've got them being knocked out in the wildcard round as well. Uh, so a bit of a return to form, but still not kind of getting over the hump all that much for them. Next up, we have the Panthers. They've added Matt Paradis and Greg Little to the offensive line. Uh, Gerald McCoy joins them, as well as Brian Burns, Bruce Irvin, Trey Boston, and Jevion Elliott. They lost Ryan Khalil and Matt Khalil off their offensive line, added Thomas Davis, Julius Peppers, and Captain Munnerlin, as well as wide receiver Devin Funches. So, obviously, a lot of discussion in the off-season has been the fact that Cam was getting shoulder surgery, and there was just some... Honestly, I think there was badly interpreted or badly thought-out comments by the ownership there that kind of suddenly made people terrified that Cam wasn't going to be able to walk again or something following the shoulder. So, if he's healthy... There's always potential for Carolina to be a contender given he's such an electric playmaker when he is on form. They've got a new pass rush kind of coming together out of some of the new uh, new talent that they've brought in. But can it be more effective because they haven't really been getting all that much. They've got Monster at linebacker there and Luke Keekley, but do they have other pieces around him that can kind of dis- or disrupt the offenses as well? And also then, obviously, with the changes in the offensive line, Matt Paradis and Greg Little coming in and the two Khalils leaving, will they be able to keep Cam protected? And also, to be honest, as good as Cam is, last year we saw a lot of this offense run through Christian McCaffrey. I wasn't that high when he came in initially because I thought he was more of kind of a, like a lar- like 
a bulky receiver rather than a running back, but he showed last year he can carry the load. He had a stellar season and uh, looks to be probably ready to put out something similar again if this offense can get going. What do you think? Like, Is this a team that's ready to contend or is this a couple of good pieces, but they're not really complete? You have to look at the team and you have a lot of question marks. But when you answer enough of those question marks with the positive, with the yes answer... Will Cam Newton be healthy and be able to throw, like do all the throws, and won't be overly affected by that shoulder? If the answer is yes, that offense will be great. Because like I think it's it's forgotten now, but in the first half of that season, before Cam Newton started to have that deteriorating shoulder really, really hobble him toward as the year went on. But first half of the season, the Carolina Panthers were killing it. They were taking down some of the big names in the NFC, and they had an offense that was built around yes running the ball super effectively through Christian McCaffrey. Yes, Cam Newton continuing to be a force on the ground as well. But I think you also saw some really, really exciting flashes from players like DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. And they're both back. They're both young. They could both improve and become even better receivers this year, not just perhaps um, just good on like sweeps and tricks and stuff like that. And so I look at them and I'm like, on that offense, if Cam Newton is healthy, huge if there. We could be looking at an Andrew Luck situation the way it's been talked about all offseason. But assuming it's not an Andrew Luck type situation, I mean, obviously Andrew Luck when he was unhealthy and didn't play for a season, I think that this offense could be really exciting. I really rate DJ Moore. I think that'd be good. And obviously they have Greg Olson coming back. If he can stay somewhat healthy, they should still have a decent safety blanket here. It is actually kind of really interesting to see this complete transformation away from these fat, like big wide receivers like they lost bunches, but obviously they lost Calvin Benjamin a couple of seasons ago as well. To these really, he's very hard to lose these days. Yeah, like, but like it's such a turnaround, and I'm I'm really more way more excited to see what they'll be with this new thing. And as you say, the defense has been okay; it hasn't been terrible. The secondary is probably still a little bit questionable, although they're always changing that, so it's hard to get a read in them any given year. But as you say, if Jerry McCoy and Brian Burns and Bruce Irvin can create a genuine pass rush. Then with Luke Heakley behind them, I think that this defense could be really effective as well. So the Panthers, I'm looking at them. There's way too many question marks. Um, with obviously the turnover of the defense and loss of their veteran leadership there to fully invest there, and the Cam Newton shoulder situation is just really frightening. I suppose that you know you're really afraid that because obviously he's not a player who's, who plays his best to be trying to protect himself. If those things actually manage to turn in their favor, the Panthers could be a serious serious force so i have them going 10 and 6 but we're busy with an asterisk saying that that's kind of like the average of the the different worlds that could exist if we're in the cam newton healthy defense gets pass rush uh situation world this is a genuine like nfc super bowl type contender in my opinion the fact that they happen to be along two other teams i consider to be in that stratosphere as well is probably the only reason that they're not in the playoffs in my scenario yeah, I am a little bit less buoyant on it. I do think there's a potential there, but I'm just not seeing it at the moment. I'm not sure it's going to... There's a lot of moving pieces that have to gel together real quick. And there's a lot of, like, even things like, yeah, there's some nice pieces on the defensive line. And as much as I like him, Gerald McCoy is old now, you know? Like, Bruce Irvin's not, like, as sprightly as he was. This is thing where they could catch lightning in a bottle and really have something. But I think it's equally if not more likely that they're going to get an okay production and basically get those declining players to produce in the way that you'd expect so that they'll be good so i have them going like seven and nine to eight and eight kind of area seems to be mostly where i'm seeing (laughs) 
it's not a team to get an easy read on. No, it's not at all. There should, should be interesting to keep an eye on. Though, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there should make some for some exciting games. To be honest, anything where you've got the running risk of Cam and Christian McCaffrey coming out of the backfield and then you've got some of those big body guys you can block down for them. Yeah, like, you're going to always have a bit of fun with that. Next up, we have the Saints. Obviously, crushing after the, uh, the loss in the championship game last year. So much so that their uh, judges are trying to get uh, NFL executives <laughs> sworn in under oath to talk about it. So it's, yeah, that doesn't make you seem like a bunch of sore fucking losers. They've added a couple of pieces on offense with Latavius Murray, Jared Cook, and Rashard Matthews. They've also added Malcolm Brown, Mario Edwards to the defensive line, and Nick Easley and Eric McCoy to the offensive line. They've lost Mark Ingram, Ben Watson, Cam Meredith, and Max Unger. Uh, they also lost Alex Okafor, Craig Ferguson, PJ Williams, and Kurt Coleman. So like we said, this is a team that will have to mentally be in the right place to uh, to be able to perform because there is a lot on them and they don't seem to have gotten out from under that cloud just yet listening to the reports coming out of their training camps and the kind of stuff that they're putting out to the media. Breeze was very good last year for the first maybe 10 weeks or so and then started to decline quite a bit in the tail end. Questions obviously being at his age, is it difficult to keep the uh, keep the throwing motion going throughout the entire season when they get outside of their dome, particularly in cold weather, is it bad? And on top of that, like, he is another year older. They did have a good running game to lean on last year. They've obviously lost a little bit of that thunder and lightning with Mark Ingram going away. But, you know, Kamara's there and he is quite of, let's be honest, a bit of a beast. And their young defensive talent was really performing last year to the extent that, yeah, they fell off in one or two games, but... They were, there was games that were won by the defense rather than the offense, which is not something in most of the time that I've been watching football, you would say about the Saints, to be honest. So, like, this is a team that hasn't lost a huge amount of pieces, has gained a few bits and pieces that are probably comparable, like Latavius Murray coming in in the Mark Ingram role and stuff. Do we think this is a team who can match and maybe surpass what happened last year? Or do we think that it's good, but maybe their moment is past? I think they'll be around where they were last year. I don't... I, like, I look at the changes. I think, obviously, Drew Brees is the biggest worry, but, like, uh, like Drew Brees, kind of in that Tom Brady sphere where you don't you don't want to doubt them until they have, like, a full-on Peyton last year situation where they just look absolutely awful. There's obviously a chance that, like, this could be, like, a, a Peyton situation for Brees, but I'm hoping... I'm certainly hoping not... I think the offense, Alvin Kamara, is amazing. I obviously said this time last year that I thought Kamara was the best running back in the league, better than Todd Gurley, um, and he has functioning knees, so I'm not going to go away from that and say he's only even better than that. And whether they choose to like make him a full-on three-down back, which he certainly is capable of, or they choose to kind of uh, make sure keep him healthy by putting Latavius Murray in there. Latavius Murray, he doesn't have the leadership chops of Mark Ingram, who was a leader in the locker room, but... I think as a just as an effective two down running back, he's been good in that role and when he's been brought into starter duty he's been effective as well. And Jared Cook is probably an upgrade over Ben Watson at this stage in their careers. And then hopefully the offensive line, the addition of Nick Easton and Eric McCoy in the centre position should hopefully be safe enough. So then on the defence, obviously you have these like stars. Nothing major change here, but you go through every level of the defence and you're seeing stars along the defensive line. You have Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport, Sheldon Rackins in the like the linebackers aren't as good, but they do have Demario Davis, who is really a really good free agent pickup. And then obviously Marshawn Lattimore 
in the secondary. So you're looking at a defense that has like blue chip talent at all levels of the defense, and that hasn't changed too much. So I think it'll be interesting to see what way or who ends up leaning on who to get this team going. But I think even if one of the bits does decrease a bit, like a, like if Drew Reese drops off the cliff, that's different. If Drew Reese is a little less effective, they can rely a bit more on oh, the yeah. run game. And I think they should be effective. So I, I think they can be as good as they were last year. Whether that be good enough to get the Super Bowl, there's a lot of probability at that point. Ah, oh, no, 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 no. Don't be backing <laughs> down. What's your prediction? So I have them going 13-3 and three and basically saying, once again, as I predicted last year, they'll be Super Bowl winner. Now, obviously, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but as the, I'll, leave, I'll leave whether they should have won the Super Bowl for the courts to decide. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think they're still going to be a, a really legitimate force. I think there's a maybe a year and a year left for them to kind of, before all the money has to be paid out to those defensive mm. stars, those young players, um, this is their, they're in a window now where they can still win the whole thing, in my opinion. No, of course. I'm very similar. I've been going 12-4 and four for the four seed, uh, but I have them making it all the way to the championship game and being knocked out down there. So uh, still a very good season for them. Hopefully not on such a controversial call, but I suppose it'll be reviewed this time around. And then the call will be upheld. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, it worse? is it worse to lose to a controversial call or to that like absolutely like dagger in the heart from Minnesota the year before? Like, you know, they got over 2017. Hopefully they can get over 2018 too. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Next up, we have the NFC West. We'll start with the 49ers. Obviously, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is coming back from the injury. Nick Bosa's there. D. Ford, Quad Alexander, Jason Verrett, Tevin Coleman, Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd, and uh, Jordan Matthews all added in. Earl Mitchell, Cassius March, Dakota Watson gone off the defensive line. Pierre Garçon, Alfred Mars. Gary Gillum and uh, Bradley Pinion all gone as well. So, so it's it's interesting to look at this team because they're such a difficult one to figure out. They haven't performed to the level that people have wanted them to perform last year, but obviously Jimmy G got injured early on and then it kind of was a bit of a wash from that point onwards. There was kind of a... Uh, carte blanche given to the to the coaching and management to say, look, we understand this is a reason, but realistically if this is a spot where they don't have a good season this year it could be a bit of a nail in the coffin for the coaching staff or maybe some of the front office they have gone hard they're they're acting like they know that as well though because like they're going hard at trying to build up on a really aggressive pass rushing defense they trade for d ford they pick up nick bosa in the draft they also get qual alexander and jason verrett this is a team building knowing that they have to perform this year and they're happy to pay for the stars to be able to try and do that. So we obviously have some questions still left unanswered from last year. Like, why did they need to hire 27 separate fullbacks? Why did they pay Jarek <laughs> McKinnon so much money? But Jarek McKinnon's coming back from injury. There's a big question over who's going to get to be the running back there as I think they have three or four different people in rotation at the moment. George Kittle was... A monster last year. He was fantastic. But can that be repeated this year? I don't know. This is just such a hard team to figure out. Because Jimmy G, there's so much hype around him. But I went back and had a look at some of the stats from his game and one or two of the, the highlight reels and stuff. Like, it wasn't all that impressive what he put on tape in those four or five games. It was a huge difference from what had been going on in, in San Francisco earlier in that season when they were just having a terrible season but I'm not sure if there's anything that justifies the amount of money this guy is getting no 
there's there's nothing justifying that, but like he was a starting quarterback at the time, or people thought he was. So crazy money ends up going on in those situations. I think you know this is a team that's in the third year now of its, of its rebuild uh, under John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. I think the most worrying thing is that a lot of the changes and additions they've made in this offseason are to the exact same places that they've been rebuilding over the first two years. Yet another like set of pass rushers for a defensive line that's already invested multiple first round picks over the last three years. You know, you're thinking about people like Solomon Thomas. He was a mm. third, like a third overall pick, like uh, just over a year ago, and he already seems to be falling down the depth chart. You look at some of the other guys. Um, who've fallen down the depth chart, like Eric Armstead, he's never really done anything. Like DeForest Buckner, it turned out to be the only one who really has done anything in that situation. Mm. And so you're like, okay, so they're just putting more players there. Like they added linebackers before, now they added Quan Alexander, and they add Jason Barrett, because that secondary is still absolutely, like beyond Richard Sherman and Jason Barrett, if he's healthy, which is a huge question mark, that secondary is still a bunch of nobodies. Yeah. You're people like Fisky Tart, Akello Witherspoon, Jimmy Ward, um, Adrian Colbert. Uh, Adrian Colbert is currently like their starting free safety. He was the bottom right free safety by PFF Jesus, last year. Yeah. So, um, like, whether, whether you like or dislike the PFF stats, if you're the bottom ranked person, that's saying something. Yeah, and then in the wide receiver core, obviously they're they're bringing in these rookies, and then obviously that's like you don't really know who's going to be their top receiver at all at this point for Jimmy G to throw to. I think, you know, there's just kind of, it's a lot of questions for a team that's in, had a lot of resources to invest. And I think if, if, if they do change, if they have a poor season, which I expect them to have, there will be changeover. But the first person that getting out the door is John Lynch, not Kyle Shanahan. I think Kyle Shanahan, I think there's enough there that you might want to give him one more chance for a different regime. I think in terms of what they'll be like this year, I think they'll be able to run the ball well because Kyle Shanahan just is good at that. And then it's a question of Jimmy G is like a below average starter, an average starter, or is he the Jimmy G that everyone was hyped up about when he left New England? And then on the defense, their best hope is to have a decent defense that the pass rush is overwhelming enough with Nick Boza, who's actually has a high ankle sprain already, so that's a bit of a yeah. worry. And D Ford and these other guys they've, they've drafted recently, but they can just get to the quarterback quick enough that their secondary isn't exposed. So for me... Like, it's just, you know, like, I never really trusted John Lynch. I thought all of his questions, like, all his decisions have been questionable in terms of who he signed and how much he's paid. And I think, like, I look at these signings, I look at what they've tried to do. Maybe this is the year it will finally work, like, after year three. Uh, but I just don't see a plan here. I don't see things. I see a good coach being hamstrung by a poor organization. And for that reason, I'm giving them 5-11 and 11 this year. And I expect that there's a good chance that both Lynch and Shannon will be gone. But... I still trust in Shanahan. I think he can get good results. But yeah, this is a lot of talent being wasted at the moment in San Francisco. Yeah, it's interesting actually. I think throughout this um, throughout this division in particular, we're pretty much in lockstep on a lot of this stuff. I've been going five and eleven as well. Similar ideas. My my only thing is that I do think that unless unless Lynch took the decision entirely out of his hands and he decided on his own that this is the quarterback that we want, how much money we want to put into him and all that kind of stuff. I think there does have to be some questions made over, like, if Jimmy G was the choice of Shanahan, then there's going to have to be something with them tying their fates together and some kind of kickback if it doesn't 
fly entirely his way. It can't just be put onto the GM, I think. Uh, next up, we have the Cardinals, who had some interesting GM moves and uh, shakes during the uh, draft, which means that we've now got a new quarterback and head coach combo of Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. The college is coming to the NFL, apparently. They've also added uh, Jordan Hicks, Terrell Suggs, uh, Byron Murphy, Robert Alford, Darius Fillion, Marcus Gilbert, <laughs> J.R. Sweezy, Max Garcia, Charles Clay, Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Keyshawn Johnson, Kevin White. They lost Josh Rosen and Steve Wilkes. Patrick Peterson is missing half the season because of a suspension. Antoine Bethea, Dion Buchanan, Trey Boston and Kim DJ, Kim DJ, Kim DJ, why did you fall out that window? Are all gone. So is JJ Nelson, Mikey I, Patty, Jermaine Gresham and Joe Barksdale. So Take a breath, Connor. Take a breath. I know. There's so <laughs> much fucking movement. I suppose it was a dog shit team last year. Can Kyler and Cliff make the kind of impact that every columnist around the like American football coverage is right and shite about every report that's coming out is it's incredible it's groundbreaking oh I've never seen anything like it before I don't know there's always a risk as they say it's rare occasion that you get high level performance out of a QB in their first year especially if they're thrown directly into a starting job this is a new head coach in the NFL level this is a new quarterback who as we said even coming into the Draft, I think there was a lot of question marks over him, his height, his build, all that kind of stuff. A huge amount of new personnel to try and get taught up to this new uh, this new playbook, particularly if it is so groundbreaking and it's so different from all the other ones that they'll have seen. It's a lot to try and ask something like that to hit the ground running with, you know, one off-season's worth of practice to try and get people up to speed on what's happening. They've added... You know, defensive coordinator Vance Joseph and hopefully going to make use of the, I think... Just off the top of my head, what, like 87 new people that they've hired there to work <laughs> on that side of the ball? Like, I think there's potential with the new head coach quarterback, but I wouldn't wouldn't bet on them necessarily doing that in year one there with all the moving pieces that are going in there. I think Larry Fitz, yeah, this means he's going to finish out his career without really seeing any major success out of it. Johnson is just going to continue to kind of languish there. Now, the hope would be with a bit of movement and a bit of new action here, they might be able to get a bit more use for him. But yeah, I don't know. I think change is good because they weren't in a good spot beforehand. But too much change doesn't necessarily build a good foundation for a first-year offense and a first-year starter at quarterback. It's obviously really exciting. It's all very shiny and new. People are kind of thinking, are we going to see something similar to Chip Kelly who came in and actually in his first year did, you know, have a huge impact on the league that this was sufficiently innovative that just changed everything for a moment um, or like similar to how RG3 came in and kind of changed everything for a moment. I have severe, severe doubts that the Kyler Murray Cliff Kingsbury experience will be sustainable. But I think the big question for the league is whether it'll be you know, have a brief moment in the sun where people will struggle to figure what's happening here. I think Kyler Murray has all the talent in the world, um, and apparently this is basically an offense tailor-made for a talent of his level. He's, he'll be good on, good with his feet, good with good. Uh, he's a good passer. He, you know, did really well in the offense that Baker Mayfield came from, uh, but obviously he only had one year of experience there. 
and he's going to have all these new toys that he can basically just dig up and has like Larry and David Johnson there as kind of safety blankets. Mm-hmm. So it should be really fun to see, but I think I think I kind of side with you. I think there's just so much change, so many things that yes, maybe once again the NFL world will be shocked by this thing and that we're all fools for failing to see this thing of a day. But I think a lot of the cognoscenti have been caught up with that past projection. They're thinking it's another Chip Kelly. And I just don't see that happening. Um, I think given where that team is, given what they did last year, uh, hopefully they're not going to blow stuff up again if it goes badly again. But I think at the very least, the team should be interesting to watch with their silly offense because I suppose the one thing that's worth the one thing worse than being bad is being boring and bad at the same time and that was the one thing the Cardinals were last year very little chance they'll be like that this year mm. but I'm not believing in the Cliff and Kyler experience I'm going to cut them going forward 12 but obviously with the asterisk that you know we literally have no idea what this team's going to be like this is a complete unknown yeah of um, course but the NFL, they're paid more. It's, it's good football, running the ball. That's what's coming back. Screw you, offense. Go, go away, air raid, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I've got them going 4-12 and 12 again. Like I said, we're kind of in lockstep on a lot of these ones. Yeah, just, look, there's definitely potential there. Maybe it'll work. But like we said, just there's just so much moving around. Like This is the thing that if it looks good, I will be on board for the following year when they've had more time to embed it. I'm sure, particularly if it's a big, multifaceted, lots of option type scheme, that like it will take time to get up to speed on it. Yes, it's great if your quarterback knows how it works, but if your wide receivers don't know where to be lining themselves up and exactly where their release points and everything is going to be, how how are you meant to be? And it probably doesn't help that like the one offense people have probably spent the entire offseason studying how to break down is the Kansas City one, which obviously incorporated a lot of these air raid elements because that's where... Pat Mahomes had so much successes yet. So maybe not only is there questions over the experience and stuff, but maybe they've come a year. Like, if they, if this isn't like read option. This is like a year after read option started. There's a chance to get caught up that people will have figured out or have figured out a bit more what to do with an offense like this in the NFL level. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, next up, we have the Rams. They've added linebacker, or sorry, they've added some defensive pieces, so they've added Eric Weddle and, oh my god, stop the presses, Clay Matthews, just give these guys the Super Bowl, oh, fuck's sake, Taylor Rapp, uh, Darrell Henderson, they've also got Blake Bortles as their backup QB, Bobby Evans and Daniel Edwards, uh, they've lost LaMarcus Joyner, Mark Barron, Sam Shields, John Sullivan, Roger Saffold, Dominican Sue and Dominique Easley. So obviously, similar to how we talked about the Saints, there is a little bit of a stink coming off this team. They were an offensive juggernaut during the season. Everyone was able to go like, oh, ah, isn't it amazing? Maybe Jared Goff is actually an incredible quarterback. And then they started to hear the stories that actually it's his head coach in his headset that was making all the reads and the calls for him. And then all of a sudden they go play in the lowest scoring Super Bowl of all time and manage to score three fucking points. Yeah, there's a lot mentally that they're going to need to get past to be able to get around that. Obviously, the plus is their defense worked quite well. They held the Patriots to 13. But main questions coming in here. One, is Jared Goff actually a good, workable quarterback? Is he a mediocre quarterback that was pushed up by the coaching and by the headset work that was happening? Or was he a good 
above average quarterback who that was assisting, but actually the limitations we saw were due to Bill Belichick's excellent defensive scheming. Todd Gurley, who was the workhorse, like literally the, the, this thing ran through him. His knees are not fully functional. He has a number of issues with them. They're bringing in additional running backs like Darrell Henderson to try and assist and maybe give him some breaks in it. But will they still be able to ground to, to, to grind the ball on the ground like they used to beforehand? And finally, like the defense, which was definitely a strength throughout the season for a lot of last year. Well, at the defensive line position and at the uh, at the defensive back position, but maybe not at linebacker. They've lost a couple of people, but they've added a few players in there. And can they actually make up for the players that they've lost? Again, like I mentioned for earlier teams, there's a little bit, some of the replacement pieces that come in, there's a little bit of a smell of like name recognition or large uh, or, or, or past deeds players who are probably on the downslope. Like Clay Matthews is without a doubt on the downslope. Um, yeah, I, was gonna, I was gonna wonder if you're gonna leave that unsaid that you were mentioning Clay Matthews, but uh, no, no, because like, there's a, there's a few ones. Like, like Eric Weddle is good, but like he's not as fast as he used to be. Like, yeah. there's a lot of kind of brand recognition, we'll say, on this defense, even when in their defensive backfield from coming over from last year. But the question is, will they be able to actually put it together? Yeah, like I, I've always been a critic of golf, obviously. Uh, I had a little bit of humble pie last year, but I do think he was helped a lot by the fact that, you know, McVeigh's system is very quarterback friendly, and obviously McVeigh is well known for kind of telling the calls as well. And obviously Todd Gurley was really the star last year, and obviously with him missing the last few games and not looking the same in the playoffs uh, due to, among other issues, arthritis, uh, which is a bit of a concern. Uh, (laughs) Just a touch. uh, You have to wonder about this. One, like, one more under the radar thing is that they lost two of their best interior offensive linemen, John Sullivan and Roger Saffold, both really experienced veterans, both very good players, albeit Sullivan was kind of on the back end of his career, and now they're going to be starting two rookies in the interior of their offensive line. Even if Todd Gurley didn't have his knee issues, and even if he is mostly healthy, that is likely to have at least some impact on their efficacy up front and in terms of communication between the centre and the quarterback. So, I think on the offense, I trust McVay enough that they will still be productive, but will they be the all-conquering, like, let's have a 50-plus like fifty plus game, 50-plus uh, points game situation like we had in that Kansas City game, which was great. Maybe there will be a regression from that. I think the Gurley situation in the long run, they have to keep an eye on that. But Darren Henderson, there's a lot of hype around him from the, you know, like from the fantasy community and people like that, so maybe he can make up for it. And the defense... The defense has always been a little bit up and down. Lots of star names, maybe not a lot of depth. And yeah, they've gotten older here again. They've lost like Marcus Joyner replacement Eric Weddle. Like they've lost like Mark Barron replacement Clay Matthews. The the pass rush is still a little bit questionable. Um, but I think there's still enough talent there. And obviously Phillips is still in situ as a defensive coordinator. So I think he's once again someone I trust enough to be able to get decent production out of them. But that's somewhere it'll probably end up roughly where they were last year, which is very up and down. So for me, I think the Rams, there'll be a little bit of regression this year because I think everything fell right for them up until the end of the season last year. And I don't think they'll have quite the same this year. Um, but I think they'll still be a very good team. But I think the long-term outlook for this team is a lot cloudier. And we'll really get to see whether McVeigh and Phillips, if he sticks around, 
are good enough coaches that they can make up for the fact that some of these decisions, terms of contracts and stuff, could end, could end up being suboptimal for them. So I have them going this season, 11-5, and five, good enough for the number three seed, but actually going out in the divisional round. Yeah, I have them going 12-4, and four, also three seed, also going out in the divisional round. Being there, thereabouts, but not really being quite at the level of some of the higher-end teams in their conference. Finally, we're on to your boys, the Seahawks. They've added Ziggy Ansa, LJ Collier, Al Woods, and Cassius March. DK Metcalf, oh, swole. Uh, Nick Bellore, Mikey Apati, and... Uh, Let's go, right. Let's go. <laughs> Jason Myers. Uh, then we've also lost Earl Thomas, Justin Coleman, Maurice Alexander, Frank Clark, Jaron Reed for his suspension. Jamar Stevens, Doug Baldwin, uh, Mike Davis, and J.R. Sweezy. So... Like we mentioned in the news section, this is definitely a very different looking Seahawks team from uh, what we kind of know them as. There's only three players left now from the Super Bowl team that Carol has uh, Carol coached. So he's kind of looking to build from the ground up again. The defense, as we mentioned, has lost a lot. Thomas Clark, Reed gone for four games. Like, there's just... A lot of pieces missing where you would normally expect to see the kind of strengths here. Now, obviously, you've got the plus that, you know, you're another year removed from a cable looking after your offensive line, which is always a massive plus to have. But, like, Baldwin is gone and he was a very reliable target for them. Can this bizarre... And, like, I get it was working for them, but this bizarre... 1982 <laughs> fucking run the ball pay a 28 million dollar quarterback to pass four times a game like can that work they're so efficient <laughs> <laughs> yeah no like I, I think the only good thing to be said about losing Earl Thomas and Doug Baldwin is that they didn't really have them last year and they still looked okay on defense and offense, respectively. Mm. I think the loss of Frank Clark to trade to Kansas City is a huge loss. They obviously brought in Ziggy Ansi and LJ Collier, so hopefully they'll have some pass rush and that they can build up and, and cover for him in the short term and long term. But I think Jaron Reed is a huge loss along that defensive line. He was really the only defensive tackle of note on the team, and now they're kind of filling it with journeymen. So I think you know they're going to struggle to get any pressure without blitzes and they're not really a blitz dependent team Kevin Norton isn't that kind of defensive coordinator and the Seattle Seahawks have never really been a, a blitzing type team they've relied on a natural pressure for lack of a better term so I think of the defense it, it, it's pretty worrying based on the personnel the only positive I suppose is that this is what Pete Carroll has based his entire career around he has always been someone who loves to bring in loads of young players loads of like discarded veterans, people like that. Just bring them all in, always compete, all that bullshit, basically. You know, 9-11 was a con job, etc., etc. Like, this is all stuff that Pete Carroll absolutely loves doing and building up these defenses. There was just like, it just happened to be that during the middle of his most successful window, he had so many all-pro-type talents that he just couldn't do that, but now he's back to what he's probably Mm. most comfortable with. Um, And I think on the offense... The offense, ironically, is probably now the stronger of the two um, sides of the ball, which is very unusual for Seattle. Obviously, they still got Russell Wilson. The offensive line should be better, or is roughly the same, mostly continuity there. Dwayne Bryan, as left tackle, has been a great pickup since they traded for him. And the rest of the offensive line is, is mostly solid, if not spectacular. And then, obviously, 
Tyler Lockett, if they can have that level of efficiency, which does seem pretty difficult, then they have production there in the run game. Obviously, they have Rashad Penny. Hopefully, maybe can make the step up alongside Chris Carson. I suppose the big X factor this year that everyone's kind of talking about is DK Metcalf, the small one, the golden Metcalf, whatever you want to call him. Mm. He is, uh, he, is he a false god or is he the, you know, new, I don't know, like Calvin Johnson? He is obviously, physically speaking, an absolute specimen. And if he could be an effective deep threat and be okay at running underneath, then he is someone who could make a big difference in an effect, in a pass game, which to be fair, isn't being asked to carry the offense. Mm-hmm. So for this team, uh, when I look at the roster and I look at all the changeover, I look at a team that probably would, given an average coach, probably have somewhere between six to eight wins. But I think it's just that there's a situation with Pete Carroll. He loves change. He loves doing stuff. He loves churning rosters. So I wouldn't be surprised if he managed to get a little bit more out of this team than you might expect, similar to last year. However, I do think that in a stacked NFC, they will fall a bit short. So I'm going 10-6, and six, but missing out in the playoffs. But I, they could fall a bit more. The talent level certainly wouldn't be unjustified seeing them drop a few more wins than that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, obviously I don't believe the 49ers and Cardinals are going to be any good, so that will help them a little bit. Yeah, of course. Uh, I've got them going 9-7. and 10. So one less win there, and uh, that's 8th place, so they're not able to sneak in. But yeah, like I said, it's it's that kind of thing if there's just... There's not not on the same extent, but almost like the Cardinals type thing. If there's a lot of new players coming in there, there's a lot of change, if not necessarily on the roster, although there is roster change. There's a lot of change in identity of the team, swapping to a more offensive-focused team, bringing in new players and trying to have to kind of establish that culture from scratch again. So there's just yeah. a lot of moving pieces for that organization. I think they'll be able to see their way through it. They've got the quarterback in place. They've got a couple of nice pieces around there. But yeah, it's just... I think there's still a little bit of a ways to go for the new identity Seahawks to kind of emerge. Yeah, so go Hawks. <laughs> yeah, go Hawks. But yeah, so that'll probably do us for now. That's all of our previews. It's around the corner now, just one month left before Sundays disappear mm. or Sunday evenings disappear once again. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a little more summer around back in Ireland here. But uh, uh, you, you don't have to worry about such things. Yeah, I want a little bit less summer if I can. Today was the hottest <laughs> it's been and I nearly died in the heat. But yeah, we'll wrap up. So that's the last of our preview series. So we're going to be going back to kind of normal podcast after this. So once again, we'll be able to take your questions if you want to send them in on the Facebook, Twitter or whatever you want to send it on to us on. But yeah, I don't know. We'll probably, we'll probably won't bother until like the week before the season really because no one cares unless unless there's some major news or something we need to cover off I'd say it'll probably be just the week before uh, the regular season kicks off yep just our typical season preview where we'll be giving our season and uh, all our usual um, premature awards uh, mm. for who we expect to win this year yeah. and uh, do well and all the bad things too <laughs> yes it should be good fun so I suppose for now it's bye from myself bye from Roland bye and this has been all four quarters thanks so much for listening and we'll chat to you in about three weeks time bye